welcome to the TPM podcast with your host Mario Girard. This is part two of the three-part microservices podcast recorded with Vidya Varatagarwal. If you've not listened to part one, I highly recommend you stop there. So uh, let's talk a little bit about why there is an uptick of uh, organizations uh, using uh, microservices. And I think new age organizations, organizations which have just uh, grown in the last five years are all microservice based. When I think about this, I think about something like Uber, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, who have come into the market in the last five or seven years or 10 years. They're 100% microservice based. That's right. And then you have uh, legacy or old world uh, organizations Mm -hmm. who are trying to make a leap and they're moving towards a microservice architecture from a monolithic architecture, right? So uh, why is there a new uptick in uh, microservices in general? So my viewpoint towards this is that all these new upcoming organizations, first of all, they are product-based. Yeah. That's the first thing which we need to understand. So they are not building a project. They are building a product. Second thing is any organization which is really trying to build a product They need three things to be successful. Speed, scale, and agility. Yeah. These three things are the key motivation in order to have or adopt microservice architecture. Other thing with microservices is, as we were talking earlier, the two pizza team, the DevOps culture, agile mindset, all that good stuff is only for those teams and organizations which are really aligning themselves and thinking in terms of a product. They are not saying I'm making a project. They are calling their APIs as a product. product. So now in T-Mobile, we have different product teams. My team, we have our own product. We have a payment team. There's a separate product. Address team, there's a separate product. Billing team, it's a different product. So you see your API even, microservice, you are not thinking in terms of a project where you run for two, three, four, five months, yeah. then you just launched everything, then you just disband the team, yeah. and then it goes in the, to the ops team to maintenance and all that stuff. That's not what the, you know, the mindset is. The mindset here is we build it, we own it, and we continuously evolve. When you are building a product, your customer base increases. Your customer needs evolve, and you want to add more and more. You are observing the needs. You are having monitoring on your services and you want to improvise day by day. Now, that's why all these new age companies and the startups and whatnot. Yeah. Other thing is they do not have any legacy behind. Yeah. Since so they are starting start. so fresh, easier there is nothing. Start. They just want to invest into something real quick and say, oh, you know what? We learned so much from the industry. They were building monolith. Let's not get into that rabbit hole. Let's start fresh and do the things right from the beginning. That's why I think it's a little bit easier for them if they are doing it. But otherwise, there are ways to migrate from monolith to, yeah. to microservice. But I think in my view, that's a little bit low hanging for them because it's a fresh start. Another thing is in these last few years, technology market evolved a lot. Cloud become very cheap. Cloud evolved so much. Serverless is coming. Docker containers are coming. People are now thinking about containers. They are moving out of VMs. Yeah. They are going serverless. They are deploying in containers. All these new technologies as your service fabric. Spring Boot, a PCF, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, right? All these things, they are having multiple nodes when you deploy a container. So all these things are coming out of those platforms which are given to you on AWS or Azure or whatever cloud solution provider you have to build that infrastructure automatically for you. 
you don't need to think about duplicacy redundancy you know for high availability yeah. all those nodes you deploy in one container it's automatically replicated yeah so these things has become very easy to adopt and evolved in last few years and that's why these companies are able to take the advantage of that in comparison to the companies who did monolith deployed in their own vms yeah. and hosted in their own servers and things like that and their own infrastructure exactly. and all that yeah i think i think you made a very good point of speed scale and agility. agility right when you talk about speed it's speed to market right that's right uh, and scale you can build to any scale you can uh, you might today have uh, as a small startup you might have 200 customers mm-hmm. it might go viral completely it does, yes. and it might get you might have 200000 customers tomorrow right. and for you you actually are not buying any new servers mm-hmm. if it's all in the cloud it has auto scaling enabled it's a very simple decision to do in the other hand if you are a monolithic application and if it was 10 years ago you'd have to go procure new servers have the server shipped right. to your yes, data exactly. center it will take you yeah. the lead time is nearly 2 months totally. maybe uh, for you to get those servers and in the meantime you can only serve x amount of customers you had uh, originally provisioned for right so as you just made the point we are now out of those things where you really procure servers and all the only yeah. thing which companies need to be cognizant and aware of is when the need will grow yeah so for example t-mobile we were very successful in the latest t-mobile launch our website didn't go down even all other prominent websites in the area and the country they all went down because there was so much you know load. piled up load yeah. on the website our didn't our team did amazing job we are very proud of that the reason is that we knew how to scale services we know what we build what we own and how to scale it how to cater the needs of the customer yeah and that customer mindset is the key if you are having customer mindset then you know the your product you are making is supposed to scale you are not making a service for 200 customer you are making it maybe for 200000 maybe 2 million yeah so you need to have that mindset that if tomorrow i need to scale it how do i do it and you're thinking about that from the exactly. very from beginning the beginning is the key yes. so rather than me procuring a server yeah deploying it under my desk yeah. and then one fine day when apple launch comes i say okay here is the order buy me a new better server yeah yeah maybe that launch will go then your server will come into your yeah. office right or, or the launch might fail that the product might not be that uh, successful uh, but you have uh, 20 uh, you know servers sitting there exactly. which were never used exactly. and then you don't know what to do with that That's right. so you can never predict exactly. uh, customer demand That's it's right. very hard to predict customer demand and as you said the auto scaling yeah. is only possible with this cloud solutions and all yeah yeah and i think with microservices another um, dimension which i'm seeing is uh, using multiple cloud providers instead of just using one cloud provider which could go down or you yeah. might have a problem with one if you can deploy your microservices into multiple cloud providers or use a combination of two as one as a backup or one as a dr solution versus one as a live solution i think there are so many innovative ways there are. Uh, and that's where i think you made a very good point of being the north star right mm-hmm. if you want to do all that in the first go it's almost impossible yeah. it takes multiple years to get to a place where you're 100% you know right. scalable and whatever redundancy you have built in if something goes down that something can be done uh, with that so there is one thing which i want to tell our listeners as you said that having multiple cloud providers yeah 
this may not sound very feasible to many people yeah so rather than they getting scared away with this yeah. and thinking we are not northista yeah what they need to do is they need to deploy their services in at least two different availability zones yeah so many organizations just do only east or yeah. west and things yeah. like that so see your customer base always yeah. try to be closest to where your customer is yeah. and then deploy at least in multiple availability zones if you cannot have azure and aws both yeah as my yeah. was mentioning yeah. 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 at least have wherever you are stay with that cloud solution provider i am sure you selected the best yeah. as per your needs just have at least two availability zones and all these cloud solutions provider are top notch yeah. they are adhering to their slas yeah. available 24/7 yeah and even if something goes down then they are having very fast recovery path but in that case your load balancers will do the job yeah. to redirect it to the other reason if you are in as east east yeah. goes down and goes to west and vice versa yeah. so that is another strategy or pattern yeah. you know companies and architects and tpms can really think about it rather than really suggesting all the time too because it could be cost intensive for many yeah, yeah. and then it needs a little bit more infrastructure and code and all these things to be built that which one is down where do i go route yeah so it could yeah. be a little bit challenging but yes that but is yes, one of the with, strategies within a, within a cloud provider it's easier to do a lot of things uh, especially when you're talking about uh, database redundancy right mm-hmm. the application is very simple because the same application deployed across two regions but when you're talking about database which needs to be synchronously maintained it is a uh, definitely an easier thing to do it with a single cloud provider because you have uh, most of these providers offer a good you know um, backup and redundancy yeah. Or, or what do you call mirroring That's techniques right. yeah. within the same within, within the, the two same. regions, uh, which kind of it's just a click of literally exactly. a checkbox. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the it, bill yeah. bill might be a little, oh yes, of course. <laughs> bill might be a little right. larger, yeah. but it's it's literally a checkbox. Where in the old world, if you're using a traditional RDBMS, <laughs> doing sharding oh, and yes. and uh, you know your mirroring, mirroring, clustering, clustering, all these things, it was like you needed a team of help. people to do that. Yes. But today it's it's yeah. as simple as yeah. clicking a checkbox somewhere and your data is uh, synchronously synced between uh, two regions cool so let's talk a little bit about we i think we already spoke but uh, how do you break down a microservice so once again for the benefit of listeners i will repeat the two words one more time uh, the when we talk about microservice you will hear this term many times it's called bounded context this term came from domain driven design Okay. Now, what does bounded context mean? Is that you always have some sort of domain. Think about what domain this thing belongs to. So, for any organization, you have different systems. Yeah. Call it whatever. Customer is one domain which almost every industry has. Yeah. Call it airlines, telecom, retail, whatever you have. Customer is always there. Without customer, what will you do? Who are yeah. you selling it to? Right. Yeah. So, customer consider it as a bounded context or a business capability. It's a domain for your organization. now wherever you are hosting that information whatever apis are giving you the information to get post put delete whatever you need all those things are now clubbed together with one single database which is hosting the information maybe you are doing cqrs kafka event messaging all that good stuff is now one microservice so when in order to do it from your monolith you think about those things that what is my bounded context let me slice and dice per my bounded context and business capability and then add the new stuff as needed one by one so maybe as we discussed earlier somebody may not want to do cqrs right away yeah they will host one database then they think okay 
our post is having 10 fields yeah. because we are asking too much information but for whatever reason we are not showing all that information back to the ui yeah. hence my read database cqrs command query responsibility segregation pattern my read schema is going to be different i am only going to put only five fields there so when event is being published from write database to read it only sends five fields out and those five goes and sit into the database row and when you read it only that information is being read okay so uh, i'm going to try to visualize what you just said you have a microservice application which is taking customer data right and there are actually two databases underneath that one could be a database which is primarily used to write the information which then uses a pubsub model to then send to another database which is just the read and the read database could also have things like caching mechanisms mm-hmm. yes. because uh, the same customer information could be read multiple times That's but right. the write database does not have any caching it's it's purely optimized for writes that's right and you have more fields in that write database while in the read database you might have lesser number of fields which are not generally queried and it has a very substantial caching layer because so that you don't hit the database every single time you read and those kind of things so a single microservice application you're envisioning that it could have two separate databases if you are implementing cqrs if you are implementing cqrs and there are benefits as you clearly called out the caching yeah, yeah. many times what happens is if i am the backend yeah and you are the consumer i may not have in my current roadmap to build caching for you so my my read database which i am exposing the information to you yeah. i'm not caching it anywhere so you as a consumer you may want to cache it but then you need to talk to the backend yeah. what does your roadmap look like why don't you cache it so sometimes you also have a say to influence to backend teams yeah. that this is my use case yeah. i am your api consumer why don't you start caching it so rather than you really pull it from the database you give me from the cache yeah yeah and then there is another thing which can go wrong in this case is the moment write changes let's say yeah. i read the information yes. but i called customer yeah. care or i go to my account yeah, yeah. and i say change my address yeah. now my address is changed then the cache, cache invalidation yeah. needs to take place. Need so there, to the more layers you add the more complex the more it. complex it becomes but there are solutions to everything yeah. and all these things work beautifully and wizard and design properly <laughs> but yes, yes i'm just bringing it to the yeah, 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 to yeah. the table so people know yeah. that you yeah. know it's not automatic you yeah. really need to work towards it yeah. because when according to cqrs when post happened yeah you're you change you're, your address, you're having a fire exactly. a call which Now, gets fired you need to set up an event first yeah. that something changed yeah. that event will go out address changed event yeah from your kafka or whatever yeah. technology you have yeah. selected yeah. of your choice and then your cache had the old address that cache now needs to be invalidated yeah. and new data needs to be put back yeah yeah okay next question i think we have is how do you break down monolithic applications into microservices and i think we spoke a little bit about it again yeah. i can say it for a short one more time is that uh, always do not try to break everything apart yeah that's just my you know sincere advice to people yeah. who really are looking forward to it to get benefit out of this podcast is always try to take small steps yeah. follow crawl walk and run got it think in terms of business capabilities and if they are still building monolith try to align whatever new functionality they are making with the domain yeah so think about it this way let's say i have a billing right 
Now I subscribed for notifications to be sent whenever my bill is due. Yeah. Now where would that functionality go? Yeah. So many times it is very easy for us to go to the billing controller and start writing code for that. Yeah. Notification thing. But if you see notification by itself is a different business capability. Yes. Or think about it this way. I want to store my credit card information for my billing. That auto pay use this whenever my bill is due. Yeah. Now many people can think since it's billing, let me store my credit card information for auto pay in the billing itself. Yeah. That's a wrong design. We are talking about two different business capabilities. One is billing, one is payment. Hence your credit card information supposed to go to the payment, not to the billing. But whenever time will come, billing will talk to the payment service and say, here is the bill information of this customer, which is due on this date, which this much amount kindly process that and send yeah. us the confirmation back. And if something goes wrong or fall through the crack, then there are other monitoring services available. The notification will go out for some reason, your yeah. credit card expired. We yeah. couldn't run it and all yeah, these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So if monolith people start thinking in that direction, if they are not immediately adopting microservices, at least they are aligning towards that. And when time comes, it will be easier for them to slice and dice and take that piece as is out of the big monolith project yeah. and put it in a separate code base and then build it and then deploy it and then operate yeah. it, maintain it and whatever. So you're just talking about like when you have a new feature that we want to implement, right? Supposing we want to do notifications, you want to do push notifications or something like that. How do you decide where it falls and which team it's going to fall in under? Like who makes that call? So usually like TPMs, okay. whoever owns the technical vision, technical spec, yeah. architects. Yeah. And then, so supposing there's a new feature you want to do, you might actually have to go and create a new team, right? If there's a new notification, notification as a function or as a feature wasn't there yesterday. Mm -hmm. The product manager comes and says, hey, we need to send out push notifications. Right. So then you actually have to go spin up a new team, which is going to build, own and operate and deploy this microservice. So there is a thing called... Uh, Stosa, single team owned service architecture. Okay. Many times in real world scenarios, it is very hard to spin a new team each and every time. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it this way. Your team is having seven to nine people. Yeah. We already spoke about yeah. two pizza yeah. team. Yeah. It's an industry term these days. Yeah. That team is already building and owning whatever they do. Yeah. They are excelling in that. If that team has bandwidth, bandwidth. to do the notification thing and they are up for it, that team can still own it. The reason is they are not mixing the code base of these things in one project. Yeah. When they will open the code base, it will be in two different Bitbucket repos or whatever versioning system you use. It will be two different repos, two different pipelines for CI, CD will be there. Two different jobs will run to build and deploy the code. Two different container infrastructure or VM or serverless, whatever yeah. will be there. The only thing is that now the third team should not own any of the service which this team owns. In that case, there will be a conflict. Think about it this way. You talked about notification. Let's say notification is assigned to you. Now, I am not supposed to do anything about notification because I am only a consumer of notification. Got it. If new feature comes or a new user story pops up in the product backlog, now only you supposed to pick that user story into your sprint backlog, talking yeah, in terms yeah, of agile, yeah, 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 real world yeah, scenario, how yeah, people do it on yeah. a daily basis. I am not supposed to be the owner of that. Only you do. Why? Because you know your code base, 
you built, as we talked about the benefit, yeah. the domain alignment, the deep understanding of the domain. You know all these things. You will make decisions. Am I going to buy some sort of notification system of the shelf? Is it yeah. bots? Yeah. Commercial of the shelf system? Is it something I'm going to build? Is it something I can inner source and reuse yeah. within the organization? Yeah. yeah. So you are the owner of that because business doesn't really care and they don't, even if they care, they do not own the technical roadmap, yeah. technical yeah. design. They, they just want, want the output. My business, my customer should be able to set a credit card for auto pay. Yeah. That's my problem statement. Right? How elegantly you do it, how do you do it, but do it within the timelines yeah. is the key. Yeah. Now that is up to the TPMs, architects, these people who own the technical reason, the technical roadmap and implementation with the dev teams, of course, to decide who will own it and where would it go. Even and if you mix payment system yeah. with billing, it's not going to hurt. You can still do it. But then you violated the microservice architecture principles. Yeah. As long as they have two separate code bases, separate databases, ideally, separate CI CD pipelines, right. and separate monitoring in place, uh, it, it should be It should be fine should with be that fine. team. As long as that team can continue to build and own yeah. the previous service they did. Yeah. yeah that yeah. team cannot say, oh, you know what? Since now I own another thing. I cannot build this one. Yeah, Since yeah. I'm building this one, I cannot own the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they build and own two services. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a key. So it is very hard for organizations to really spin a new team every time of seven to nine people. Yeah. Maybe there could be an addition to this team, which yeah. will do it. But again, they have to have separate code base and everything separate as you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you brought up a, a very interesting point. I've seen Agile fail and one of the very primary reasons I see Agile fail when people are doing microservices is not having a very good CI-CD pipeline, right? They don't have enough regression tests. They don't have a good build and deploy pipeline or the deployment is very manual, right? Uh, how important is CI-CD in the microservices world, do you think? Even in my view, even in monolith, CI-CD is important. Okay. So CI-CD does not lose its significance even for monolith. Yeah. What happens is that continuous integration and yeah. continuous deployment are the key. There is one more thing, continuous delivery. Yeah. Means deploying to production automatically, yes. which is yes. which is not advisable all the time because yeah. like in T-Mobile also, we do not deploy right away. We yeah. have our own non-production environments. We call it NPE. We will test it over there. We will certify the builds over there. We will certify all the test cases ran. We have a separate dedicated team which does it. I hope every organization has something yeah, yeah. similar setting. And once that sign-off has been achieved from all the leaders, then only we have a sign-off and go ahead to deploy to production. Yeah. Right? But are we really doing continuous integration whenever we are checking in something? Yes, we do. What is the beauty of that? The beauty is that whatever code you have been writing, is getting into the main trunk. Yeah. Let's say master. Yeah. Or main, whatever yeah. branch you call yeah. it. Yeah. And now your code is hustling, gelling, and mashing with the rest of the code base. And once it goes in there, if it has any sort of polluted code in it, yeah. it might have some sort of issues with some sort of some unit test cases. Yeah. That it will fail some of the test cases. Yeah. And that's why there is one more term which I want to introduce, and many people might know, is called CT. Okay. There is another thing coming up these days, CI-CD-CT. Okay. CT means continuous testing. Okay. Continuous testing is that the moment you check in, your test case keep running in the system. 
and you automatically know the results. And you automatically know. So before your build is really decided to be fail or successful, it on all the test cases which you wrote. And that's why teams need to have the very, you know, disciplined, mature, and the product mindset yeah. is the key that whatever I am writing, I have well-rounded test cases, happy path, and sad path. Yeah. Many people understand these two as positive testing and negative, negative testing. Yeah. We need to cover both the scenarios based on your API contract or what your customer is looking for. Make those test cases, think out of the box, make sure every test case passes, and then only you go in. And every time you check in, these test cases are being run. Yeah. And that is what continuous testing is. Yeah. And then monitoring, of course, as you called out yeah. earlier. And I think that's so important when you're doing microservices because you want to bring it quickly into the market. You want to deploy it fairly quickly. You don't want it to have a two-week test cycle or a four-week exactly. test cycle because the code is already written. You've already written your unit tests to that. You want to check it against all the previous unit tests and regression tests which are there to ensure that you're not breaking anything which has already been there for the customers. And you want to do this in a quick uh, and continuous fashion, right? That's right. So having a mature CI/CD pipeline is almost as important when you, when you start doing your microservices is to keep having enough rigor to do that, discipline right. to have your test cases. Now, there is one more thing I think, uh, the other viewpoint I have about this thing is, with monoliths, your pipeline is a little bit more lengthy because you are building so much. Yeah. There are so many things happening. I think adoption of CI/CD become a little bit more easier and low-hanging for microservice because your code base is so small. Small. Think about it. You have been deploying address, customer, payment, billing, shipping, all these things in monolith. Yeah. So your pipeline had a lot to do. Your build was a little bit running lengthier. Even one thing failed, your entire build failed. But in case of microservices, adoption of CI/CD become a little bit more low-hanging yeah. and easy to adopt because you are having just one responsibility, one bounded context-based business capability. Yeah in one service, yeah. hence your build runs really fast. Yeah. And you can easily deploy to containers. And you can easily set maybe a dozen unit test cases, for instance, to begin yeah. with. And then that set of dozen become one and a half dozen. Yeah. And then you grow in number of unit test cases based on the features. Yeah. But if you think about monolith, you might have few hundred yeah. unit test cases. Yeah, it yeah. all needs to run. Yeah. So that's why adoption in microservices is a little bit, that's easy. another viewpoint yeah, yeah. I'm presenting yeah, yeah, to, no, the, to the audience so and listeners, uh, that it's a little bit more easier for them to adopt. Yeah, yeah. I, I also remember when I was working on, uh, many years ago, when I was working in a monolithic application, the amount of tests that ran, it might take you 48 hours for the test to finish. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. right. Yes, exactly. In, in, in a microservice-based architecture, generally you have tests which are running. It might take an hour, maybe two hours, maybe three hours at the I very max. I think that's max, the max, max, maximum, right? It should not so take that long. It shouldn't take if that. If you are, if it's taking that long, I think you need to break your microservice so as well. Small, smaller, <laughs> smaller one. Uh, but uh, the time to market is fairly fast with microservices. Cool. This is the end of part two of three. Part three is live. Do go ahead and listen to that. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of information available on mariojira.com in particular regards to this podcast. Vidya has provided a lot of microservice architecture diagrams. I have also linked to his LinkedIn profile where you can connect with him. And there are also several other articles with Vidya has written, which I'm linking from my website, mariojira.com. So I'll see you on the other side 
with part three of three of the Microservices broadcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>